Hi, this is Taylor Stuber. And this is Sean Smithgall. We are both clinical pharmacists, faculty members, and your hosts for The Postgraduate Pharmacist. Welcome back, Sasso Squad, and any new listeners to another episode of The Postgraduate Pharmacist, where we're all about helping you separate and stand out as you prepare for postgraduate training. From current events to expert advice, we bring you up-to-date content every other Monday related to postgraduate training. Join the Sasso Squad today and follow us on Twitter at PG Pharmacist or Instagram and LinkedIn at The Postgraduate Pharmacist. And check out our website at postgraduatepharmacist.com where you can get all of our latest content. If you love the show and want to support what we're doing, check out ways to spread the word on our website or buy us a cup of coffee. We could always use the caffeine. Welcome to episode three of our alternate pathway series. We're in the middle of discussing community-based pharmacy residencies. So if you are just joining, go back and listen to the previous two episodes, starting with episode 32. So I just want to take a couple seconds and recap some of my favorite points that have been made so far. So community-based pharmacy residencies offer a lot of the same structure, especially the ones that are accredited. They offer the same structure and the same opportunities that you can get with just a general PGY1 pharmacy practice residency. So I think a lot of people would be surprised that their career goals might actually match well with a community-based pharmacy residency program. And we're not saying that you now cannot do pharmacy practice residencies, but you just you should probably open up your evaluation when you look at these programs and add community-based pharmacy residencies to your evaluations just so you can start to see if maybe they will help you achieve that. Taylor, what what are your kind of favorite things that you've learned so far? Yeah, I think it's kind of similar along those same lines, but I just really have been intrigued by the types of opportunities completing a PGY-1 in community pharmacy practice can open up. You know, I, I feel like I've gotten the, the comments that, you know, they just think with community pharmacy residencies that you're just going into that, you're dispensing, and then you just go into community practice. So they're saying, well, why would I need a community pharmacy residency if I can just go into community pharmacy right out of school. And I I just think, you know, we've highlighted over the last two episodes all the different opportunities that it can provide. And even if you do end up going into community pharmacy practice after that, you there's still so many skills and valuable things that you learn, new services you can provide, how to evaluate those programs that pharmacy residency and community will prepare you for. So I've just been really um, intrigued by that. So now that we know a little bit more about community-based residencies, we want to focus on how to separate and stand out when applying for these programs. Of course, our SASO squad is going to be happy to hear this. So to help us discuss, we have a repeat guest back for today, Dr. Natasha Zibak, who is a clinical pharmacist and residency program coordinator, soon to be director for the Centers for Families and Children and Adjunct Faculty at Ursuline College in Ohio. Natasha, welcome back to The Postgraduate Pharmacist. Thanks for having me back. So we briefly hit on this last episode, but I kind of want to just come at this point again. Are there specific things that stand out to programs when evaluating PGY-1 community-based candidates? 
Yeah, so we really like to see candidates who have focused their rotations or clinical rotations on ambulatory care and underserved populations. I think it's important that your CV is going to ultimately reflect your career goals. Um, But we also like to see candidates who have community service experience. That's a, a pretty big part of our residency program. And I think that having that experience just goes to show that you are dedicated to improving community outcomes. But we also want to see that, you know, candidates are able to work well with others. We like to see references talk about a candidate's ability to stay motivated and manage their time, as well as, you know, work one-on-one with patients and provide counseling in a way that the patient can definitely better understand and benefit from. So now this is purely opinion that we've heard, but it's sometimes opinion to prefer that for pharmacy practice residencies, general PGY1s, that candidates have hospital-based work experience, especially when the PGY1's in a hospital. Is the opposite true, or is there a strong opposite opinion, since this is all opinionated, for community-based residencies to have community pharmacy practice work experience? I think it, it definitely helps because I think that it shows that a, a candidate has been exploring career paths and choices, but it's not necessary that a internship has done within a community pharmacy. We definitely recognize that, you know, students have commitments to their organizations, to their classwork, to their rotations. And so we like to see it. I think it's definitely important to have it on your CV, but it's not a deal breaker. And so you'd be, it sounds like work experience is, is work experience too, and that's helpful for candidates to have. And not to try to worry too much about where they're getting it if they're if they're just able to get it. Yeah, exactly. So I think you mentioned this in the last episode, but you, you kind of talked about leadership experiences being important or something that you might look at. So are there specific types of leadership experiences that you value in candidates? Yeah, so I really look to see if candidates have any kind of involvement in organizations that are dedicated, whose mission is really to improve community outcomes. And so whether that's, you know, providing counseling on diabetes medications or hypertension medications, if it's just really trying to promote adherence, any kind of involvement in organizations that stress that, I think that having a leadership position in that kind of organization shows that somebody is innovative that they're able to, you know, work with a large group of students, peers in general, and work towards a common goal. And also the ability to get organized, to create opportunities for other students, and to advocate for the profession itself. And I I think that's good. So students don't have to worry too much about trying to tailor their leadership experience to a specific type of residency program. And we tell students all the time, one thing I see most often is there seems to be like these click popular leadership organizations within schools where every student feels like they need to be part of like the ASHP student chapter 
or something like that. And so, and it's, it's much harder to get a leadership position in these larger student organizations. And there's sometimes these smaller organizations that may not be exactly aligned to your career goals, but there's an opportunity there to show that you can be a leader. And there, I mean, we have a lot of them where it's like, we have one candidate applying for each position. Sometimes we're begging students, please take a, take the secretary position, take the treasurer position. So I think there are an opportunity to join an organization and get a leadership position and show that leadership and they're struggling otherwise that it doesn't necessarily have to be this specific organization and these programs aren't going to be looking and say, well, it was this and not ASHP, so we're not even going to count it. That doesn't seem to be the theme we're, we're hearing with anybody. And you kind of talked a little bit about that now. It's like it, we just want to see that they're leading students and working with others. So I like that you mentioned that. Yeah, and especially if you're going to put it on your CV, definitely make sure that you're able to talk about the experience and the impact it had on your professional growth, but as well as the community and you know how it's really affected your plans as far as careers go. Does any other type of experience such as business experience help a candidate? So for example, having an MBA or any experience as an entrepreneur? You know, I think that having anything that shows a candidate has a desire and the ability to expand pharmacy practice and services is helpful. So one of our residents right now completed a master's in public health, and one of our incoming residents has also completed that. So to me, having that experience really shows that, you know, you're able to think outside the box, you're able to develop services and really improve on services that we may already have. It's not a requirement, but it definitely looks good. And, and you talked, to, I think, a little bit about this last time, but do your candidates at your program specifically, do you have experiences tailored around learning how to do some of this administrative work, organizational work, or developing? Because you talked about the CPAs, but I didn't know if in addition to that, you kind of helped train them on how to develop these practice sites or practice services or things like that. Yeah, we, you know, we include a discussion about what is needed and what has to go into providing these services. And so recognizing the limitations of pharmacy practice. We need referrals from providers in order to offer our services. Really trying to focus on that. We definitely try to help residents navigate to that as well. I just thought of another question kind of related to all these these things we've been talking about, these experiences and activities. How does your program value or does it value or look at research experience? You know, having research experience shows that you're familiar with the IRB process, that you're familiar with all the um, different components of doing research, but it's not mandatory. I mean, it's always a plus. I encourage students to get involved with it however they can during pharmacy school and seeking out those opportunities. But I also understand that it's very intimidating and, you know, it just sometimes doesn't come across a student's lap, I guess to say. So it's valuable, definitely, but not a requirement. And you mentioned too last time about qual- you do a quality improvement thing at your site. And so, which is a huge staple of any clinical services thinking about, well, how am I going to evaluate this service and improve upon this service? And so 
you know, outside of research experience, it sounds like we tell students that, you know, quality improvement is good too. And you can throw an IRB on a quality improvement project and it, and have that, like that IRB experience as well as not having to do like this major research project, but more of a quality improvement project. And so it sounds like that experience would be equally beneficial for a program like yours. And I'm sure a lot of programs like yours also have that quality uh, component to it, quality improvement, especially in the uh, community-based pharmacy realm. Yeah, absolutely. It's something that, you know, any program should be really looking at and any kind of service that you offer to patients, you should be finding the holes in the service and patching them up. So we had some good trivia last episode and Nadisha, if if you don't remember, you're a hundred percent so far. So <laughs> we're hoping that you can keep your streak alive. So good luck to you. So in honor of the NBA playoffs going on right now, I wanted to ask a question. Back in nineteen ninety seven in the ninety seven NBA finals, Michael Jordan had his famous flu game where he played uh, while he was very sick the the thought is you know that he had some bad pizza before really interesting if you ever go back and watch the last dance documentary there's a lot of um, good information about that but in the 97 finals what team were the chicago bulls and michael jordan playing against so i'll give you some options is it the detroit pistons the Utah Jazz, the Seattle Supersonics, or the Boston Celtics? Oh, this is a tough one. That's a really tough one because I have no idea. <laughs> Maybe Sean can answer first and, and you can see if you want to. I can help you out. I can say that he put in the Seattle team to, as a distractor for me. My basketball knowledge is, is horrible. When we played pub trivia, I always had a guy on my team. He had an encyclopedic knowledge of every basketball game. If I could phone a friend, I know I could get him to answer this question. I think it's the Utah Jazz, though. I, I feel like they were pretty good back in the 90s, and so that would be my guess. Yeah, I'm between Detroit and Boston for me, mostly because those are the only other, <laughs> out of that list, the teams that I know of. I'm going <laughs> to go with the Pistons. All right, well... Um, Sean is actually correct. So ah. the, it is the Utah Jazz, if you remember, Sean. The um, that's back when they had John Stockton and the mailman Carl Malone. I had a <laughs> I had a life size poster of Carl Malone in my in my room at the time, and John Stockton was my favorite player. So had his jersey and everything. So I was kind of a Utah. I don't know why, but I was kind of a Utah Jazz fan. Uh, yeah, why? I was like, why are you a Utah Jazz fan? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. It's like a new random tidbit of information I've learned. Well, so it's funny. You asked the question about TV shows last time, Taylor. So I'm glad I saved this one for this week because mine is about TV shows this week. So I love a good TV show. I grew up watching Seinfeld with my dad. And I'm just recently going back through all the episodes of Seinfeld and 20-something years later. And despite the massive amount of content on all these streams, streaming services, you just can't beat a good TV show. And some of these TV shows stand the test of time. So I believe uh, where a show takes place makes a big difference on how good that show is. I'm just so happy to be a big fan of shows from Ohio. So I grew up watching Third Rock from the Sun and the Drew Carey show. 
all good shows all taking place in Ohio. If you remember Drew Carey's show, it starts off with the song Cleveland Rock. But those shows are early 1995s and, and early 2000s. So I wanted to jump ahead 10 years to maybe more shows that most people would remember. And so which one of these shows also took place in Ohio? Was it New Girl, Orange is the New Black, Glee, or Community? Oh, no. I'm going <laughs> to... I want to say Community, but I've not watched any of these shows other than Orange is the New Black. <laughs> Well, even if you watch some of these shows, you probably don't pay attention to where are these shows taking place, unless it's the Drew Carey show where you're yeah. reminded every single start of the show exactly where it takes place. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So so is your guess the orange is the new black then or is it community? I want to say community. I was going to say community just because we're talking about community pharmacy residencies. And so <laughs> I, think, I think you're just trying to have a play on words there because I, I that know that's clever. how I know that's how your mind works, and that might be why you chose it. So it, it could be a distractor, but I'm going to go with community as well. It is a distractor. It is not community. It's actually Glee it takes place in the fictional school of William McKinley High School in Lima. I think it's Lima, Ohio. 100%. And then we got shit. We saved the hard ones for this week on purpose. Yeah, yeah definitely. The test always gets harder as it as it progresses. <laughs> it's a progressive test. Yeah. We, we we change our questions based on how, 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 how well, well you're, you're doing. doing. I see. Yeah. yeah. Pulling the sports and TV questions out. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> So we have a couple more questions. So I want to ask a question kind of for those students or applicants who maybe aren't 100% sure, you know, where they're going or what they want to do after graduation or even after residency. Maybe they know they want to do a community pharmacy residency, but they didn't really have an idea of where they wanted to be after that in the next five to 10 years. So for those applicants that maybe not know exactly what they want to do walking out of residency, what's the best way would you say for them to explain that in their letter of intent? Yeah, I think sometimes, you know, you you might have an idea of the population of patients that you want to work with, you know, different areas of pharmacy that you want to focus on. But sometimes it's hard to know what opportunities are out there. So I would encourage students to really try to focus on making it known that if you want to work with underserved communities, say that. And if you're not sure about specific, you know, positions available, you know, talk about that, about how the residency will help you learn about the different opportunities, will even possibly help you create opportunities. You know, you don't have to specifically say, well, I want to work in this kind of clinic, maybe even just highlight the population of patients that you want to, you want to work with. Uh, patient population will transcend any like any type of work environment. So I'm a I'm a huge fan of that answer. I like that. Yeah, and I think being open and honest about you know maybe how residency and you know that program specifically can help you figure those things out. Like you were saying earlier, I think there's a lot of a lot of that growth process during um, your residency program. So I like that as well. So last question. Moving on, I think you mentioned a few things you want, you know, your applicants to, you know, have good time management skills and things like that. But are there other soft skills that 
you think are important for a candidate to have? Yeah, so I think that with how our program is set up, it's very important that our residents are able to, you know, really take initiative and stay on track and recognize what needs to be done and when. So having initiative and having the ability to stay organized is super important and also, you know, working by yourself and managing your own time and your essentially your own practice because it is a lot of independent work. I'm there and I follow up with residents on a regular basis, but you know, I'm not going to be standing over anyone's shoulder, you know, really monitoring what they do all day. So that's really something that's going to be very important in our residents. And that was kind of the theme we saw with the last program, because you have a very large program and there's only a couple in the country that are your size kind of with community-based pharmacy residency. There's a lot of these one position ones, but then there's only a handful of ones that have like six to seven positions. So for a program, the last program we have similar to yours, same thing is you're not there every day standing over their shoulder looking. So yeah, that seems to be, especially with these large programs, something that is going to be standing out and something you'd want to highlight in your letter of intent. Yeah. And I guess even going further and really trying to highlight that you're someone who's not afraid to receive feedback, but also give feedback. I think that it's very important for programs to listen to their residents, but it's, you know, just in the line of work that we do, um, because we have such a behavioral health focus, there can be a lot of risk for burnout. There is a lot of risk for hearing day in and day out. Sometimes the patients share really traumatizing stories. Uh, They talk about some of their like harder times in life. And it's important to be able to share, you know, hey, I need to take a mental health day. I need to take a break. I need to talk about this with somebody. Having that ability to recognize when you need to reach out for help is very important too. Well, not to share, thank you so much for those answers. You, You shed a lot of great light into pharmacy residencies. Any last minute advice you want to leave our SASO squad with? I've heard the advice that you've given a lot of listeners throughout these episodes, and it's all very valuable. But I think to prepare for residency, don't be afraid to reach out to program directors or, you know, program contacts and ask for more information. Ultimately, when you're when you're applying, proofread your material, proofread your CV, proofread your letter of intent, have someone else proofread it for you. Having everything, you know, look good on paper and translate well is very important. Well, that is definitely excellent advice and can't be said enough. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you so much for being another repeat guest on our show. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. If you want to continue to hear up-to-date topics from us and our guests, please like and subscribe. You can listen to us for free on your favorite podcast app and check out our show notes below to see links and highlights of the episode. And remember, you can separate and stand out.